Welcome to Say It Out Loud, your weekly dose of mental liberation in the thriving melanated community. I'm Anthony Kelly. Hello, kings and queens. I'm C.K. McGee, and we're your hosts. Thank you so much for joining us for episode four of Say It Out Loud. Anthony, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing good. Um, you know, considering the circumstances with, you know, of course, the coronavirus here in Taiwan, um, we're doing really well. Um, it's still, you know, not... Uh, the normal experience here in Taiwan, you still have a lot of masks wearing and um, the temperature taking, but overall in terms of the just vibe and, you know, the shopping experience, access into resources, it's it's pretty, it's pretty normalized and it, there's nothing, no wide panic or anything. So I'm pretty, I feel pretty lucky in terms of the experience that we're having opposed to others in the world right now. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And again, I just want to express how happy I am to see that things have settled down for you and, and your wife, because I know that it was a bit um, scary there for a moment. So very good to hear that things are settling down. I'm doing well. And um, thank you so much for keeping me updated as far as what's going on in Taiwan. And of course, we have a lot that's happening over here in the States. And, you know, frankly, I've been listening to the news all week long. And you know from when it first started over there how fast-moving it can be, how, how quickly things change. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I say that to say this. A lot of this information that I have is very possible that since I obtained it, it has changed. So please forgive me and know that as I did, there are resources that uh, you can utilize, websites that you can go to to find out like the latest uh, information in the city or in the state where you live. But from what I know of the COVID-19 virus, and of course, a lot of the things that I'm going to be talking about will be based uh, in New York since that's where I am, but it does uh, speak about other places. Um, we know that this past week is when the World Health Organization finally uh, determined that this was a pandemic. And they wanted to, um, and, and help us to understand that even though the word pandemic is being used, Anthony, that it is an important word. It is a serious word, but it's more really about us sort of like being informed as opposed to like being panicked. Because once you become panicked, then you overlook certain details or perhaps there are certain things that you might not do. And you sort of leave yourself vulnerable to a situation that you don't really need to. So basically, it's just about sort of keeping your ear open to what pertains to you. If you're a student, excuse me, if you're a parent of a student, uh, you know, what you're, um, what you're doing at your place of business or the place where you worship, all of those things, they've been talking about everything across the board. So there are cancellations and postponements of things, um, such as the Metropolitan Museum, which is closed, all Broadway shows, which are closed through April, mm. Disneyland, in California is closed through March. The Boston Marathon has been postponed until September 14th. The NCAA March Madness has been canceled. The NBA has suspended their season after two players from the Utah Jazz tested positive. Yeah, uh, the whole team is quarantined. Yeah, the whole team is quarantined, yeah. Right, you heard about that? Yeah, I did, I did. And uh, Major League Baseball, uh, they had uh, also suspended their spring training and then indicated that opening day will be delayed for now 
uh, by two weeks. You also have the Tennis Association that has suspended their tour of six weeks, uh, of course, due to the escalating concerns over this crisis. And uh, all golf tournaments are being played, but without spectators. The St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York City and in Chicago have both been postponed. Italy is on lockdown. Israel has been requesting immediate 14-day quarantine for anyone who enters into their country. Just off top, Um, it doesn't matter, huh? Just off top? Yes, off top. If you come into their country, automatically they want you to Mm self-quarantine. Religious services are affected. We saw, like, last week the Pope did his service live stream and so also uh there are adjustments that are being made across all denominations so we were hearing about all kinds of like you know um um temple whatever it is so i would suggest like if you do i said like i said before have a place of worship i would check to see like is service happening and not only just service but you might want to look at any of the other activities that may be scheduled because that can be in question too and Anthony, have you been hearing this term because they've been using it a lot this week? Um, it's called uh, social distancing. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then one thing before we got into that, I wanted to just mention too. I, I was reading an article this morning about I think it was J.P. Morgan that was doing kind of a a, um, a uh, forecast on kind of the economy and was and was kind of anticipating by July kind of this global recession in terms of how the economy is going to be impacted with all these shutdowns across the across the globe. So that's something to also kind of be looking out for and how that's going to impact everybody. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the social distancing I've been I've been hearing and it's just it's just <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I I've been hearing that term being thrown around with the news and everybody else trying to um find a nice way to say keep your distance. <laughs> Yes, right? I mean, you know, it's just nice and graceful, but, you know, there are actual things, please excuse me, there are actually um, some protocols that's being put in place. So, as I said, um, beautiful people out there, I'm from New York, and so the governor of New York, whose name is Andrew Cuomo, has actually said that any event, Anthony, that is attended or is was you know, supposed to be attended by 500 people or more, he has banned the event. Mm-hmm. An event that is attended by 500 people or less, there are certain protocols that are being put in place. And my recommendation is if you're a ticket holder to any of those kinds of events, those, those smaller events, you may just want to go on the website and find out what they're doing as far as that event is concerned and how they're handling people being in those areas. So I thought that that was kind of interesting as far as banning anything from 500 people or more. (laughs) And then another thing that I thought was like, okay, good luck with that, is that New York City residents are being asked to avoid taking the subway during peak times. I think that anybody who's outside of New York City, I'm not certain if you understand (laughs) how massive the New York City Uh, transit system is and um i'm gonna say that that's gonna be really interesting to see how they are going to be able to do that i mean i know that they're also encouraging people if you if it's at all possible that you can work from home to do so but when you're talking about the new york city subway system you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people who utilize it each and every single day 
And so if there's over 8 million people in New York City, and that's just the five boroughs, we're not talking about the state, which is over 19 million people, Mm -hmm. then you're talking upwards to about 5.7 million people who use that subway system. So as I say, that should be interesting to see exactly how they're going to make that work. Yeah, I was really, that was kind of my main, my, my, well, not my main concern, but part of my concern when I thought about Taiwan, because Taiwan is built very similar to China in terms of its transportation, and it's heavily dependent and efficient. And so um, when we thought about the spread here, I mean, it was just like, you know, it was almost, I thought it was going to be not a guarantee, but like a pretty high probability just because of the constant transportation between both China and Taiwan, because you have a lot of these families here where the mothers kind of take care of the kids and the fathers work back and forth in China, kind of almost like a commute thing, you know? And so that was, you know, a real concern. But Taiwan's preemptive you know, uh, action was, was pretty superb in terms of uh, not waiting on hearing from anyone else but taking their own action. And a lot of it's reference to their experience in the past with SARS, where they had a, a large portion of the population, about 150,000, I think, were quarantined. I think there was... Um, a lot of deaths, you know, I, I don't know the exact number, but um, they keep talking about that experience that they had and how they had it, they kind of learned their lesson. And so, yeah. Yeah, it should be, it should be really interesting. Um, some other updates that we heard about this week, Anthony, is um, the actor Tom Hanks and his actress wife, Rita Wilson, both yeah. tested positive yeah, for COVID-19. Yeah. Uh, they're away um, on a film shoot, actually, and uh, they had symptoms and got tested. Uh, and also, the Canadian Prime Minister, yeah. Justin Trudeau, his yeah. wife, yeah. Yeah. they self-quarantined that. after returning from a trip and they were experiencing symptoms. And basically, you know, he was somebody that said, listen, um, for the sake of, you know, my, ourselves and, and our country, you know, men and women, we really don't want to put anyone at risk. And so they're working from home. Yeah, I mean, you know, taking responsibility, you know what I mean, for their stuff. You know, that's exactly, you know, that's exactly right in my mind. Mm-hmm, absolutely, I agree. Now, Steve Harvey said something that was real interesting, Anthony, that I think that you would like, because this is a little tidbit coming from Taiwan. Now, he has a friend that works at the CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control. And this friend was talking about how, you know, it's unfortunate that people, if you're not really informed and you run into an issue regarding your health, uh, you know, and because they're asking individuals who are experiencing symptoms to not just go to the ER, to not just go to urgent care, but to call ahead first. Mm-hmm. Have you heard, uh, and I'm sure you have, about the, the, the daily self-check where you hold your breath for 10 seconds? No. Yeah. So apparently he said that he was uh, told by um, an expert in Taiwan that one of the things that we can do as individuals is do a daily self-check where you hold your breath for 10 seconds. If after you've held your breath for 10 seconds, there's no coughing or anything like that, for the most part, you're doing all right. Keep doing that on a daily basis. If you're not able to hold your breath for 10 seconds, then you might want to contact your doctor or urgent care or what have you. He said because what he sees is happening is that because of how long the incubation period is with this virus, 
by the time the symptoms start to show up and people come into the ER or urgent care, their lungs are already compromised. Yeah, yeah. they were talking about how it makes it weak because of the pneumonia. It hardens the, the soft fabric within the lung um, cavity, I think they were talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, the thing is, too, is that well, we kind of talked about um, you know, now that, uh, you know, I've been kind of selling myself here as we start thinking about, um, the progression of this and the things that we can add, a lot of the breathing exercise that I was mentioning to you about and with the yoga and the movement and stuff like that, that can be something that we can start sharing because that has a direct impact on one, increasing your lung capacity, blood circulation and oxygen flow. Um, but then also two. <clears throat> helping with you uh, building your strength in that lung capacity. So that might be something we can help with. Because that, that has a, that's a, one of the most, I think, cheap and effective because it doesn't cost anything. You know what I mean? And these are some long-term practices that, that people can implement that we can show that can really be helpful. So that's a nice little tidbit. I didn't know that Steve Harvey had that. But yeah, Taiwan's CDC out here in terms of their information, every day you go on their website, super transparent. They have a scope on the world and put in, and they have their own little map that kind of maps out daily updates on what's happening with the world and where it's going on with Taiwan. Every, they have a chart that lists all the cases, where they came from, who they connected to. I mean, it's, it's pretty super comprehensive. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, that's important about us doing Say It Out Loud. It's, it's about, as a village, it's about as a community, sharing information with each other so that we know what's up and we know how to handle things accordingly. So I definitely appreciate um, knowing that there there are places where we can go, that we have access to, so that we can learn and, and understand what's happening. And then whatever pertains to you, at least you are able to, you know, make plans and, and, and do what you need to do. Sure. Now, what's funny, you mentioned something uh, earlier about <laughs> not seeing any panic buying, you know, but over here, they are cleaning off the shelf like Armageddon is coming. Yes, and you know. the thing about it, my my mom and a friend of hers, they went out like the other day just to run some simple errands. And, you know, my mother's friend was of the belief that she can kind of pick up some of the stuff that she needed. Not so. <laughs> <laughs> Not so. And I mean, let's say that it was like a place like Wally World, like, like Walmart. Mm-hmm. And while she's standing there in this aisle for the things that she's looking for, and she's sort of like amazed by the fact that there's nothing there, another person goes comes up to her and says, and don't even think about going to Sam's Club. Mm, like that. These are warehouses. Oh, yeah. Don't think about going to Sam's Club. Wow. They got a membership. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, if she's saying, too, that it's Sam's Club, it's wiped out, too, Sam's Club? Yeah. Anthony, that's like a little scary, don't yeah. you think? Well, I mean, <laughs> yes. I mean, and that's why, like, for me, like, it's just, I just feel so lucky, blessed, man, just to be in the situation we're in because, like, here, like, that's not even an issue. Like, right now, we, I mean, we got, they got toilet paper outside and, you know what I mean, got cool little set. I mean, nothing. I mean, there's no, the only, um, the only big obvious thing is just the mask wearing, the temperature checking, and then, like, you know, the infrared camera when you go into the MRT. But in terms of, like, resources, access to, uh, there's no really kind of craze. And I, and I just, you know, I, got, I have to just give a credit to Taiwan's government in terms of how they've been managing because that's, 
that's le that's legit. I mean, that's some scary stuff because you know there's a lot of assumptions too about the United States and their efficiency and how they're ahead of the game in so many things. And so there's going to be a lot of gaps that I think this is exposing, you know. And uh, it, yeah, so for me, I haven't had that experience at all. Like even though we're like, all right, we've been stocking up on the beans and rice, and you know we have our gallons of water because we you know we're pretty minimalist and we don't eat that much in terms of. Uh, um, a bunch of food outside of our, you know, grains, fruits, and vegetables, but um, there hasn't been no kind of, in the very beginning, there was panic buying around masks, but the government here nipped that in the butt. They canceled all exportations of masks, and then they also written into policy for any businesses in Taiwan to up the prices for the masks, so making sure that it was all affordable for everybody across the board. Mm -hmm. And so they were doing some very practical items. And the thing is, too, you get the feeling from the collective people, you know what I mean? There's not a lot of kind of like, you know, um, arrogance where it's like, you know, I'm entitled to help. It's like it's a us thing, you know what I mean? And so you get. Exactly. Yeah. You're making a very good point about that because that's why, you know, they made this effort to say, listen, ladies and gentlemen. Slow your roll, pump your brakes, fall back soldiers. Mm -hmm. You don't need to go and buy everything off the shelf, okay? Um, it's a community that we have to consider. And I know that when people feel panicked and when they feel scared, the one thing that's a, a comfort to them is that I have everything I need and I, I won't lack anything. Yeah. But the reality is that if you at least stock your house for like two weeks, you're good. That's what they're saying. You don't you don't need to like act as though you're going to be, you know, sort of in your home for like the next six months. And that's how people are buying water and mm -hmm. toilet paper. Um, they had a case where some kids went into a 7-Eleven and they purchased uh, a bottle of hand sanitizer thinking, oh, yeah, because they keep talking about, you know, washing our hands. And the poor boy uh, that was on the news, the, the hand sanitizer, it wasn't legit. And it burned up his skin, all of his yeah. arms and, and everywhere that he wiped or used that hand sanitizer, he had he had burns on his skin. Yeah. I mean it's it's well the thing is too, you gotta you kinda gotta get to like why are people feeling that panic? Why are people in the land of the free feeling like, you know, they gotta do this? And you have there's a culture in the United States of Armageddon. I mean you have the doomsday community where they have all the underground bunkers like there was a whole tv show about it you know what i mean and so yeah. there's something that's feeding that fear you know what i mean and right now it's it's exposing that you know what i mean and right now like you got to think about like taiwan is like 81 miles across from china like we're right next to china you know what i mean and and that type of apocalyptic kind of framework is not really existed here at all like you don't get none of that feeling at all so i think that again lends the question why is that happening you know what i mean in the united states you know not that we got to get into it but that's just one of the things that get to me what's contributing to that mindset you know right. what i mean before well, like what you said it's gonna be it's revealing a lot of how people think and it's it's revealing a lot of how particular people think because mm -hmm. it's not all of us mm -hmm. let's i want to be very clear about that it's not all of us who think that way so there's a particular uh, membership within the population that feels that way. It's not all of us. So, because I, you know, I know many people and they're not running scared, they're not panicked. Mm -hmm. They understand the importance of educating yourself and being aware 
of what's going on and understanding that any information that pertains to you and in your life, that's what you pay attention to. You can only control what you can control and everything else is everything else. But yeah, there, there's, there's there, that craziness. And again, it's about that self-entitlement of I, 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 and as long as my needs are taken care of, I'm fine, I'm secure, but you're not necessarily considering your fellow man. Yeah, and that's the mindset that is modeled. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah, so you know, not not to get into it, but <laughs> that is that's a learned behavior. Mm-hmm. That's a different show. That's another show. It is. <laughs> <laughs> and Anthony, there are also six states within the United States. Last um, I heard that do not have any diagnostic testing available. And those states are Alabama, Maine, Ohio, Oklahoma, West Virginia, and Wyoming, uh, along with some US territories that are actually in the process of developing their diagnostic uh, testing. So that would be Guam, Puerto Rico, and the US Virgin Islands. So they're in the progress, according to uh, the CDC, of getting their diagnostic testing. Yeah, and I think there was, um, I think there was something I heard on the news too that uh, Germany developed a test that was pretty efficient, and that other countries are adopting the, those tests. Part, but I don't think the U.S. wants to. I don't know if that you heard anything about that because they had a pretty effective test um, process that they have, and other countries are adopting it. Um, but I think maybe the U.S. wasn't trying to. I'm not sure about that. You know, that's something I heard though. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about that. Um, but, uh, you know, there are at least 14 states, and I'm sure by now more, where there are school closures, whether it's entire districts or individual schools within districts. Because, you know, here in New York, for instance, there seems to be this, like, battle going on between the governor of New York and then, like, superintendent of schools in the hot spot, which is in Westchester County. The town is called New Rochelle. And uh, I believe as of March 12th, uh, between the 25th, I think it's March 12th to 25th, he, the governor, had ordered a like, sort of like a, a one-mile radius, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. excuse me, sort of like closed off, so with whatever was within that radius, school, restaurant, business, whatever, so that deep cleaning can happen and all kinds of things. And, um, you know, superintendent of schools is like, you know, okay, we, we'll close some schools, we're not going to close them all. Uh, because it's inconvenient, um, you know, not all parents are able to find, you know, alternative uh, child care options, let's say, for their students and, and things like that. So we, we, we're, we've been hearing that sort of going back and forth. And he's not really pushing it, but he did make clear that, okay, this is what you're doing. But if the CDC should be the one to say, close down, it's like, you better. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, you see, and you see also issues arising too with just unemployment. Like, cause a lot of folks uh, that can't, might not be able to go to work or they have to stay home because they're in that particular area, um, mm-hmm. having to stay home, and now like the government with their stimulus package, having to thinking about unemployment, people staying home, how do they get paid, stuff like that too. So there's a lot of things um, that this, you know, our government's gonna, you know, gonna have to, we're really, what this virus is really doing is we're gonna be testing kind of the efficiency of, of this government system and, and how they really, I guess, <laughs> represent the people. <laughs> so it's, it's gonna true. be interesting it's to true. see. It's gonna be interesting to see because right now Taiwan's kind of leading the way in terms of, uh, one, managing the, the virus, but then also, two, uh, showing incredible support for people, the people here in the country. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, we shall see. Um, and then also, again, uh, you know, understand everybody that the numbers I'm giving you by the time that I receive this information could, could change because it just changes that rapidly. But right now, it looks like 17 states have set up what they're calling a drive-through testing site for COVID-19. And if you can picture a car wash, uh, but but that it's tented, like a, like a tent, but it has its separate bays, just like a car wash would, apparently they are able, they say, to uh, take care of 200 cars each day. Now, the thing that I'm not really clear about, I believe you have to call. There's a number that they provide. If you are interested in being tested, and, you know, of course, you can look this information up in your state where you're located. But if you're interested in being tested, I believe you have to call and let them know. It must maybe I don't know if it's appointments or what have you. And I'm, I apologize. I do not know the number of days that it will take before the results come back. But again, we have a lot of accessibility and go to, you know, your state and find out about the drive through testing sites and see what's going on as far as that is concerned. And then lastly, Anthony, I was thinking about this. You know, we are so caught up in the physical aspect of uh, this coronavirus, this COVID-19, and that's what we're focused on, the, phys the physical aspect. But as a mental health advocate, mental health is always a concern to me. So I was thinking about that. And the fact that we're focused on our physical aspect, we might have a tendency to neglect our mental health. So I just wanted to put a few reminders out there to my mental health community. Listen, only worry about the things that are in your control, all right? You need to do what helps you and makes you feel secure. Be vigilant in maintaining preventive measures such as, you know, washing your hands and doing what you need to to, to boost your immune system, all right? Stay connected to trusted friends and family. And if you should decide to limit your attendance to any of the larger events, then you might want to ask yourself, are you doing it to avoid potential sickness or are you doing it because you're feeling depressed? So if you're starting to struggle with any mental health issues such as depression or anxiety, you can reach out to your mental health professional or you can text TALK in all caps, T-A-L-K, TALK, to 741-741. And if you happen to be having suicidal thoughts or ideation, please, please, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. That number is 1-800-273-8255. Your life, it matters, and so do you. And we want you to be here. So do the best that you can to take care of yourself. Reach out to your inner circle, your inner sanctum, and just take it one step, one day at a time. And that's dope information. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and Anthony, I'm so happy that I have you as a point of reference. And I tell you that when I listen to the news <laughs> about coronavirus, I'm always thinking about you. So I'm glad <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that, you know, you send me all kinds of like articles and things that I can read about and things like that. So that's that's what it's all about. It's about sharing resources and um, you know, just being connected, and so I, I definitely appreciate that with you. No worries at all. Now, Anthony, are you familiar with the Crown Act? No, I'm not, actually. All right, so we're just moving on to the next um, point of discussion here. The Crown Act, Anthony, 
It's an acronym um, that stands for creating a respectful and open world for natural hair. Mm, All right. Now, the Crown Act, it was introduced by State Senator Holly Mitchell of California, and it passed both chambers of the California legislature um, last June in 2019. And then it became law in California in uh, July of 2019. So basically, this is response to dreadlocks being cut, right? Yes, yeah, okay. it's, it's yeah, to help yeah. ensure, yeah, protection yeah. against the discrimination. Yeah. Okay. Well, we we saw this year at the um, the Academy Awards. I happened to check them out a little bit. Um, there's a, a director by the name of Matthew A. Cherry, African American, who won an Oscar for his animated short film called Hair Love. Anthony, it was so adorable. <laughs> <laughs> I cry about everything. It was so adorable. If you ever get a chance to like check it out, Hair Love, it was so cute. Because not only is it dealing with the dynamic between a father and a daughter, but of course, you know, it's about her hair. And I'm not going to like give it away about like where her mom is or anything like that, but um, it was so adorable. But he won the Oscar for it. And he said that the reason why he did this short uh, animated film was because he wanted to see more representation in animated films and he wanted to normalize black hair. I bring this up because black students are still being discriminated against. Now, I know it's a law in California, it's law in New York, and it's law in New Jersey. There are more than 20 states right now that are still working on their legislation, and obviously the goal is to have it available in all 50 states. But the case that you're talking about with the dreadlocks being uh, cut was the young man who was um, on the wrestling team. Yeah. And they basically told him, and I think his name is Andrew Johnson, they told him, um, you either have to forfeit the game or we cut your hair. Now, Anthony, let me just tell you right now, I don't know the good Lord above, I'm not sure, the universe, the cosmos, somebody must have understood that it is so good I wasn't that boy's mama. Mm. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. I, that's not even. A, yeah, I, I saw. I think I saw that case on the news. It was. It was ridiculous. And that. And of course. And of course. There's. There's misconceptions, emotional discontent, no uh, reconciliation that doesn't hasn't happened. Assumptions that are being made, and you and you see that, and it's so apparent. But again, it's the, it's the inconvenience of asking those questions, and for those that are in power, taking responsibility for investigating that why, and they just don't want to because they don't have to, you know, and so. Exactly, they want to be in check. And then, if that wasn't enough, you have a young, another young man named DeAndre Arnold, who was basically told uh, that he, it was basically told to him, I should say, that he was going to not be able to graduate. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't be able to graduate unless he cuts his hair. <laughs> okay, he has to cut his hair to graduate. And then there's this young lady, her, her first name is Asia. And um, Asia is somebody, she's like 17 years old, senior. Uh, she had been on the cheerleading squad for like three years, captain of the team and everything. So here it is, it's her last year. And I mean, she was really dedicated to cheerleading, so much so that even though she also participated in soccer, she gave that up so that she can focus totally on cheerleading. Mm -hmm. She's had her hair, it's been there. It's not been a problem. But all of a sudden, now her hair is because the rules and the regulations require that all of the girls wear this sort of like half up, half down uh, hairdo. And she has really thick hair and she's unable to do it. So she's been getting like demerits 
and she's been getting like disciplinary action taken against her. And because she has not um, basically done what they asked her to do, they kicked her off the team. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing to me that even our hair scares them. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, there's nothing really about, you know, especially white folks in those position, uh, positions of power. Um, the, the, the practices and what they're using against us are not original, again. You know what I mean? So it's, it's one of the things where they just have that convenience and that privilege. And again, they're going to have to take an account for how they use that position of power and privilege. You know what I mean? And with the changes that are coming, which you're talking about with the animated series, or with animated movie, with the with the acts that are coming, like eventually they're going to have to face that because that type of thinking is not going to be relevant anymore. And so again, there's a part of that that's it's terrible, it's sad, and we got to continue to be vigilant in our work and supporting our community. But what I what I know just from my own investigation, keeping myself accountable for my own actions and, and investigating the why within myself. I had to eventually face all the shit that I put out there in the world. And so that those same people are going to have to do the same thing. You know what I mean? Because I feel like a lot of things work in cycles. And so in yeah. terms of what they have done in that, in that, in that, in that uh, traumatic experience they've created, um, that's going to come back to them and they're going to have to continue to work through that cycle until they improve on themselves in that capacity. And so it's just unfortunate that they don't see that, you know, especially those folks that are in power imposing those laws or those policies, you know what I mean? Because again, um, we're a human species and, and we're variations of each other, you know what I mean? And because of that, that idea, you can see the narrow-mindedness that is going on and what they're trying to hold on to in terms of some type of control and imaging. And that and that's gonna be and that's getting cast away and it's slowly dissolving. And so again, it's just gonna be unfortunate. Um again, as I think about compassion with myself, those days that they're gonna have to face and 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 take responsibility for that pain and that trauma that they created themselves, you know. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you've been discriminated? Because I know you, you have dreads, correct? Yeah, I do. I do. Yes, I do. Um, you ever had any experiences? Um, with the thing is, for me, is this, I don't know if, you know, I've, I've had, well, yeah, I, I've had folks that attempted um, right. <laughs> because I was a, a director and executive at the university and, and the head of my department in terms of access or diversity access and, and support for students. And um, I think it was more so that they were kind of too intimidated to enforce it. And I was okay with not with getting fired and not having a job. You know what I mean? Um, right. So I, I was, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit more bold when it comes to those things and, and, and confronting that type of conflict. Because um, I've always kind of been this kind of solo person where I've had to kind of deal with my own kind of issues on my own. And so, and as I've been growing in my activism and, and awareness of myself, both physically, spiritually, and mentally, um, I knew that, you know, uh, it was apparent when I was in these positions and I'm meeting with provosts and I'm on these committees, I'm the only one that looked like myself. So the higher up you get in higher education, essentially the more white it gets. And right. so um, for me, there was privilege that I had in terms of my size, my masculinity, um, my athleticism um, as being an athlete, you know what I mean, um, my connection with the community. So there was different kind of um, benefits that I had that I think um, alleviated a lot of um, administration trying to pursue it, 
especially right. with the fact that with most historically um, white institutions, they're trying to make this shift towards diversity and inclusion. And so I become kind of the poster child, you know what I mean, um, in that respect. And so um, there were subtleties, but nothing to that degree, you know, where people kind of drew a line in the sand with me. I think a lot of folks avoided doing that with me. Right. I only actually had an experience one time, and it was it was in the world of hospitality, working in hotels, and uh, I was in I was in, being interviewed by the assistant general manager, who was also a woman of color, but she was not American. And I had just gotten my hair done. I was looking all fly, feeling cute. And she said, to me, <laughs> she said to me. She said, oh, your hair is really beautiful. And I was like, thank you. And I'm thinking that, you know, like other people, she's just, you know, complimenting it. And then she says to me, she goes, um, you know, do they come out? <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, can you take them out? And I was like, no, I just got my hair done. I was like, you know how long I got to sit in the chair to get my hair done? I went through the whole thing. I'm like, no. So then she says to me, <laughs> she says to me, well, you know, our flagship hotel, where it's located, basically she said, you wouldn't be able to work there because that would be unacceptable. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, I said, well, I beg your pardon. And I find that very difficult to believe considering where your flagship hotel is located is where I was born and raised. And I don't believe that New York is going to have a problem with me wearing braids. Yeah. And so from that moment, she became quiet and I tell you Anthony it comes up every once in a while and probably because of these cases I I I really kind of regret that I didn't do anything about it you know that I didn't make more of a stink about it um and I mean it's not like it's it's, it's stopping me from living my life but just mm -hmm. every time I see these cases come up you know it just sort of like on the inside you know yeah 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 definitely can understand that so the last thing before we get back into our discussion, our part two of rebalancing our masculine energy and our feminine energy. Anthony, did you take naps as a kid? Naps, yeah. I take more <laughs> naps now than I do because I had so much energy as a kid. Um, I did take naps as a kid though, yeah. <laughs> I remember as a kid not wanting to take a nap. Oh, you guys, we took them. But we always had this sense of, you're missing something by yeah, taking a nap. for sure. Right? For sure. But now, like you just said, as an adult, you're finding sort of like you see the wisdom in, in taking it. So uh, I was hearing this story the other day about naps and not just like, you know, at home, but actually they're talking about naps within the workplace. And one of the things that the sleep experts talked about was that, you know, when you take a daytime nap, it improves the following, your alertness, it boosts your creativity, memory, and stamina, reduces, reduces stress, the risk of heart attacks, it improves your perception, motor skills, accuracy, your sex life, and it just plain brightens your day. Well, there's this guy in Boston, he's the CEO of um, a company called HubSpot. And the um, headquarters is actually in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And he said, I actually encourage my employees to schedule a nap every single day. He said, when you look at my schedule and you see my planner, he said, it's nothing for you to see that I have a meeting at nine o'clock and perhaps I have a conference call at 1130. And then one o'clock to, you know, 130 is my nap time. 
Yeah. He's so much so about it that he created this uh, Rip Van Winkle room where it's like you go in and it's like this beachy, you know, atmosphere. There's even a hammock in there and everything. Yeah. <laughs> and you can sign up and, and, and take a nap without without any um, any issues at all. And I thought to myself, yeah, because we consolidate so much energy, especially in the daytime when we're working, that I remember my time, I think, to hit the wall was probably like 2.30, 3 o'clock. And if we could have just taken like a, even just a half hour, 40 minutes, even NASA has done testing about this, to be able to like, you know, kick out the rest of the day. Because I usually, being a supervisor or manager, I was already used to working like 10 plus hours a day. And so it would have been really nice to just be able to take a break like that. So I thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because Taiwan is huge on naps. Literally, you work when you work in the schools and you go to lunch. Uh-huh. They have an hour for a nap time. Yeah, and you know what's so funny? They used to say that about like Latin American, I'm sorry, Latin countries, where they said that they took what, uh, what they call the siesta. Mm-hmm. But they said that when you're look when you're reading more about it, they said um, not as many people take that siesta as we were originally led to believe. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't really see too much when we did a lot of traveling in uh, Latin countries, but here in Taiwan, it's no joke. It's like you're they're, they're right knocked out right there on their desk. When I was uh, teaching um, uh, at, in the schools, um, they'll feed you lunch, and then after you have lunch, um, everybody takes a nap. Staff, everybody. You know, I'm talking about in the engineering department. I mean, everywhere, and it's like it's 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 a part of the culture here. They'll take naps right there on the spot at the desk. I like it. That's a, that sounds like self-care to me. Yeah, and they pay for that, too. Yeah, I love it. You know what I mean? So that that's good that you're talking about. I wouldn't be surprised if that guy, you know, kind of traveled over to these countries over here um, and, and saw that because that's a big thing. Or, you know, I mean, being, you know, sometimes when you're in the positions like that and, you know, you're actually a kind of person that cares about your people more so than walking around and like making them feel intimidated. First of all, you get so much more productivity when you treat the people that work with you as human beings. It makes such a difference. So I'm sure because I'm that kind of a person too, and I didn't go to Taiwan. I know that if I had a company of my own, I know that I'm going to want to treat people the way that I would like to be treated. And so that's to be, you know, considerate. It's to be reasonable. It's to understand that people are burning the candle at both sides of the end. And so what can I do as a person in power? What can I implement that will make my people feel like, you know what, I don't mind coming to work every day. And if I had to stay late or anything extra required of me, because I feel valued. And that's kind of how I took it, which is why it made me so excited to like, you know, share it and hear about it. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that something like that still exists in the world. Oh, yeah. Here in Taiwan, you take naps for sure. Get that hour love, hour nap. <laughs> so, Anthony, why don't we, now that we have gone through all of our current event topics, why don't we jump back into part two of our series, uh, Rebalancing Our Masculine and Feminine Energy. And if you'd be so kind, sir, would you mind recapping some of the information that you gave us last week for those that may not have had an opportunity to listen? 
Yeah, um, so I'll just give a quick recap. Um, so last week when we talked about kind of um, this notion of masculinity and feminine energy, we understood that it wasn't necessarily a gendered idea, but more so a practice of acknowledging that both of these energies of masculine and feminine energy exist in every, every single one of us. Um, masculine energy kind of being more direct, kind of to the point, kind of getting your goals done, kind of um, straightforward. Feminine energy kind of being more open, um, kind of more artistic, kind of more of a gray area of kind of figuring out organic processes. Um, and as I kind of started investigating both those energies within myself, um, just collectively, um, historically, it, it took me all the way again back to Egypt and even past them, but I'll kind of use Egypt as an example. And, and the further you got back into history, what you found is that it became less patriarchal, more matriarchal, where you started finding more women that were in power that were creating these spaces for just the general population to investigate these spaces of spirituality, um, kind of purpose in life um, and development of self. Um, and again, uh, there was, again, examples that I provided. They had notions of symbolism that was really big. And so when you think about the hieroglyphs and, and the spaces that they provided, temples, um, places where they prepared the dead, um, there was all this symbolism that really helped provide um, understanding of what this space meant. And one of the examples I used was the scarab. The scarab um, that we can, if you want to think about the scarab, it's kind of very similar in terms of looking of like a dun beetle. Um, right. And but the scarab, in terms of how they broke down the the actually aspects of the scarab, it had a very powerful notion that helps you understand yourself. And they and they talked about the practice of the senses, and and the more you develop these senses, the better you kind of became in tune with both um, this masculine and feminine energy. And so the way they broke it down was the seven senses from the scarab symbol the two eyes, the two ears, the mouth, and the two nostrils. And these were the kind of areas in terms of um, that they really encouraged folks um, to investigate because those senses in itself allowed you to understand the subtleties and energies within yourself. And then as that kind of kind of progressed, and then what, it, what, it, what it really was getting to was investigating kind of all, uh, alternate states of consciousness. Um, okay. And so from there, you also got... Um, the ayahuasca, you have the cannabis, you have mushrooms, and these are things that have been ancient practices for a long time. And as those kind of transcended through time, and I, and I kind of went into, as we got into kind of Greek history, and as I kind of transcended, you got Pythagoras' silence. Um, Pythagoras was a you know, famous mathematician and scientist, um, astronomer, um, and he had his own schools, and one of his practices that kind of was rooted from this ancient Egyptian practice of investigating alternative states of consciousness or your senses was also um, uh, in-depth silence practices. So he had schools where, you know, the beginning lower students would have to be literally quiet for three years, um, and then the higher students would have to be quiet for up to five years. And that practice was not just to directly hit these main senses of your, you know, ears, eyes, and mouth, but to help you also be silent to the point where you start opening up other kind of senses in your body. And that was, again, another practice to help you understand the subtleties of this both masculine and feminine energy. 
Um, and so that was kind of what we talked about and how that's translating over time and what you find as you start getting closer to where we're at now, you see that our institutional frameworks or even kind of societal framework really doesn't support that notion of kind of self-investigation and, and investigating silence. Because I, with my own practices and with my passion of meditation, I did, I've done quite a few um, silent meditation retreats and those were just for 11 days. And for those 11 days, after being quiet for so long and then coming back into the world and you see and kind of receive the noise that the world is kind of consuming you with, you see the lack of spaces to investigate that depth of silence within yourself. And so right. um, that's kind of, it's been, it's been kind of interesting. And so again, uh, when we think about masculine and feminine, it's not necessarily a gender thing, but it's more so the energy that exists in yourself. And how do we, um, collectively as a community, think about getting back to that practice to really help us better understand these energies that kind of cohabitate within ourselves. Um, and that was kind of what we were able to cover at that time. And one of the things that also was interesting with that is some of the frameworks that were established back then that have carried over now, when you think about and the two examples that are used was the spiritual temples, and, and especially here in Taiwan, you see a lot of temples here that have the incense, um, the altars, the fruit offerings, the, the dolls that are made up to represent their ancestors. In that very practice of those main components, you can read 35,000 years ago with Isis and Osiris and in the, in the, in the spaces that they created back then to help create spaces to interact with both the physical and spiritual world. And it was just very interesting to see how here in even Taiwan now in 2020, how that practice has carried on. And then also through my travels of the world, you see there's different variations of that practice as well. And, you know, we saw it in Egypt, Ethiopia, Nepal, um, you see it in our own church, you know what I mean? Uh, growing right. up Baptist, you see the altars, you know what I mean? All those kind of ideas. Um, and then also too, not on a negative side, but you see back then there was this notion of access to this information and it was just a part of life and it was no cost for that. And you saw even with the, uh, the change of, you know, matriarch kind of leadership to now patriarch and you start seeing more of this masculine energy kind of take, take heed when you started seeing this new kind of implementation of paying for salvation because um, spirituality was such a big thing, you know, back then, even still now, but a little bit more uh, intense, the further you go back in the history, you know, leaders started seeing the depth that people would be willing to go to investigate their spiritual self. And they started capitalizing off of that by, you know, actually having them having to pay, you know, for their salvation versus the, the, the time that it took to investigate yourself. Now you start being able to pay a fee or back in them days, you know, you pay for an idol or a doll or whatever it is that you would do to kind of help you better pay for your salvation or uh, that's, I guess, the best way to put it. And it really wasn't the paying for your salvation versus the self-investigation that they were trying to promote. So you see that notion of tithing early in those days that is carried over as to us now. And that's a big part of our of our, our church framework. And you see also historically how that money or that paying for salvation became a really kind of staple in the power of the church over history in terms of the money and the position of power it, it held. Um, so that was interesting. And then also too, um, I recognize as that history 
that we get into and the further you go back. Um, and what makes it a challenge now for, especially for us black folk, when we think about our, our history in this, in, in this spiritual space, um, our ancient practice of spiritual development really challenges the traditions of the church, which I think was very intentional. Um, and so for me, growing up Baptist and when I relinquished all that kind of spiritual attachment um, and, and how historically the church was a space for, especially black people in the U.S., a place for safety, a place for education, for community gathering. And so to relinquish that practice and to start considering these old ancient practices of, of self-investigation, silence, you know what I mean, and thinking of the root of tithing, um, I think that really can be a challenge for us. Um, so yeah, I wanted to just kind of bring those notes up. And that was kind of thinking about how do we learn to better manage the inconveniences of searching for that truth. Um, and I think a big part of that is is not just accepting what has been given to us, but being a, a consumer of new knowledge and always opening up to new learning. And I think that's a very difficult um idea for our our melanated community to take on because we're rooted in tradition you know and and that tradition has you know saved us when we didn't have options so i i understand both sides of the coin but for me individually um my practice and detachment neutrality has really helped open me up to new levels of spiritual practice as i've investigated the past does that make sense yeah, it does. And but I think that, you know, for for me, before I move on, which, by the way, thank you so much for the recap and yeah. for giving us um, some more information in terms of the, um, the historical references um, in relation to this topic. But like for me personally, I think what I found was because we are steeped in tradition and we have these religious practices versus spiritual ones. Yeah. Once I detached myself from the religious practice, which I found to be hypocritical, mm -hmm. which I found did not feed to my spiritual, um, the, the spiritual health of my being, once I, you know, recognized that, you know what, maybe I need to do my own investigating and develop my own spiritual sense and my own uh, spiritual relationship with God, in my case, um, I felt liberated. I felt more free. And so I, I think that what, what you're saying, it can be difficult. Uh, and there, then there may be some people who may come to a, a decision, a crossroads in their life where they see, they're starting to see things for what they are and they're able to determine that, okay, what works for me and what doesn't. And then like somebody like myself being a preacher's kid that was, you know, there's high expectation uh, think off the cuff. Um, they thought nothing of, you know, pulling you out of the congregation to come up and read scripture or say a prayer or sing a song or whatever yeah. it is. You held positions within the church because that's what was expected of you. It was all about appearances. It was all this like narrative that surrounded that whole thing. And a lot of it did not do anything for my spiritual being. Yeah. And so to a point where I finally had to say, okay, I'm walking away from this part of things, but I need to go, you know, and do my own thing. Um, that was really huge. Yeah. And so I think that um, because of, you know, obviously the information we've shared about the uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, which is very important, um, we're getting close to 
the end of our session for today. And Anthony, I don't know about you, but this is really important. So I'm thinking that maybe we should do part three. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's fine because I get, I think again, with that point that you just brought up with the fact that you took accountability for your spiritual development. And again, I think that's again, the very, the, the inconvenient part is that we have a, uh, a tradition that's rooted in us doing this together where the us is fine, but there's also an individual aspect of that spiritual development that you have to take on yourself and can't lean on others to inform you. And I think Absolutely. that's the hard part. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and you made but a I distinction. Think... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was going to say, because what you're saying is kind of like exciting. I think what, what happens um, inevitably for a person, especially when you're dealing with different situations in life. And that's kind of like, what happened with me when you when your world sort of gets rocked yeah. for exterior reasons it will cause you to consider things that you may not have thought about before and that's kind of what sort of ushered in that thought process for me yeah. you know what i mean yeah 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 and yeah. so you know and so like with that kind of a thing it's like it just depends on how you're coming to it but listen I think we should do part three because I still have information that I'd like to share. That's very important mm -hmm. in turn, um, in talking about the masculine energy, feminine energy, and just some things that I think people will be able to relate to as far as today is concerned. Yeah. And, you know, so I think we should do that because it's an important topic and, and we should, we should cover everything as much as we can. For sure. You think I, that's cool? I, I, absolutely, that's cool? I absolutely agree with that. Cause again, I think being able to dig a little bit more into kind of that, that individual responsibility that you took on yourself to dig that out is important because again, you're going to have to constantly relinquish and revamp and relinquish and revamp. And that stress and that fatigue of constantly asking the why is, is the part that I think sometimes gets folks, you know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, I totally agree. I think we could continue another conversation. That could be an easy one for a part three for sure. Okay, so uh, we'll also, in, in uh, having a part three in talking about this, then we'll get into our uh, individual accountability and our community support and institutional framework. But um, I will, um, Anthony, if you would, extend that invitation to our community about being in involved in the uh, with the podcast. Oh, absolutely. And I think, again, every time we have these questions about, you know, these topics, it's what's really important is that the more you engage and the more you have a chance to ask us questions around the topics or things that we might not have covered or things that you would even like for us to talk about openly that you, you know, that you're, that, that our audience is interested in, I think that's very helpful. Because again, every week we're going to have a particular topic that we'll bring to our audience. But what we're also looking for is the engagement with the audience for them to feel like they can bring something to the table and it'll be addressed and we can continue to uh, enhance our content outside of what we're bringing to the table. So we extend this invitation to you all to ask us questions, share your thoughts and experiences and, and suggestions for topics that you would like for us to, to discuss. And But again, we always like to thank you all for tuning in to our, our podcast and we always want to wish you the best. But again, your interaction is vital for our growth. All right, and with that, I will um, close with this quote. And it says, quote, as you become more clear about who you really are, you'll be better able to decide what's best for you the first time around. And that's from Oprah Winfrey. Nice. So again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. And stay tuned when we say it out loud next week. Be blessed, beautiful people. And here's to brighter days. Take care, y'all. Peace.